Griner Talks about sustainability and transformation. A Griner podcast episode. How to change? How to create a sustainable future? That's what we're discussing here. My name is Alexander. I'm part of the sustainability team at Greiner. And in this episode, we'll be speaking about human rights. My guest is one of the leading experts in Austria. She's a lawyer with a focus on human rights and constitutional law. She's a social sustainability and human rights expert at PwC Austria. And she's the chairperson of the board at the University of Salzburg. Welcome, Marianne Schulze. Thank you. Marianne, thanks for inviting me and thanks for having me in this very nice location in the DC Towers in Vienna with a great view. Thank you and welcome. <laughs> Marianne, we'll be speaking about human rights today. And that's a term that most of us are familiar with, but actually it's very complex. It's a very diverse concept. And just by sitting here, we are actually fulfilling quite a few of our human rights or making use of them. Could you give us some examples? Yes, I'll, I'll gladly try and I can only echo your sentiment that we usually don't really reflect on the fact that we are implementing human rights every day and actually in a way every minute. And just as we're now utilizing our human right to freedom of speech, I'm sitting here in close that testify to our right to close that are part of the right to an adequate social standard and having slept in some safe space, having used sanitary facilities first thing in the morning, having engaged with our families or having had coffee, all are related and direct implementation of human rights. And it's great that we're finally holding these conversations about not only the importance of human rights, but making them more granular and making them more relatable to each and every one of us, because the abstract side of it, I think, is a bit overwhelming at times. And it's important that we all know and treasure what we have in our individual rights. And in my preparation for this interview, I learned that there is even something like a human right to sports. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the latest human rights treaties, that's the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities, enshrines the human right to sport on account of the fact that persons with disabilities are frequently excluded from mainstream sports, such as soccer or in other parts of the world, cricket. And there's many more examples, but that there's also a need to provide a space where persons with disabilities can exercise their very own sports, such as Paralympic Games. And the human rights are a concept that is not that old. They were adopted by the United Nations in 1948, since then been translated to more than 500 languages, and there have been many changes, adaptations, additions. Who decides actually on these human rights? How many human rights are there as of today? So the concept of human rights is actually older than 1948, but you're right that the first international agreement was instigated in 1946 and the Universal Declaration was then adopted 75 years ago in 1948. I would say that we have roughly around 50 or 60 human rights that we can really discern. Maybe I have to correct myself going northwards. I think it would possibly inch closer to 100 if I really gave it some good thought. You're also asking who creates human rights. Across the board, you've got the international level, 
with the Universal Declaration and eight core treaties that have since followed within the system of the United Nations. But there's regionally the Council of Europe, the European Convention on Human Rights, or the European Union, with another difficult treaty name, that's the Charter of Human Rights of the European Union. And then we have the national level, where constitutions enshrine human rights. There is sometimes separate bills of rights, and then some of these provisions also go into single laws as specific aspects to bolster the rule of law and, and human rights more generally. So now it is fantastic that there are so many human rights. You have shared some of them in the very beginning of the conversation. You have also mentioned that it's also dependent on national legislation, for example. I'd like to know so who is now taking care of the implementation and of the upholding of these human rights, or are they just nice promises on a piece of paper? It depends, as we like to say as lawyers. At the national level, you have the Constitutional Court in Austria as the highest ranking legal entity to critically review the implementation of, of human rights. And there is a certain set in the Staatsgrundgesetz of 1867. Then you have the level of the European Union, where the European Court takes care of one or the other aspect that's also enshrined, among others, in the Charter. And then there's importantly, with big effect on Austria, the court in Strasbourg by the Council of Europe. And then there's a side note that all of the UN human rights treaties, those eight core treaties, have expert bodies that look and critically review the implementation once a country has acceded or ratified a treaty. Those are more political bodies, less legal, but they also contribute in this very broad mix of entities to the implementation. Coming back to the situation here in Austria, do we have to worry about human rights in Austria or are we actually doing a great job in this country? Human rights, very much like democracy and very much like the rule of law, are pillars of our society that we always have to worry about. And I think one of the challenges is that not only are human rights seen as something that has very little to do with us, um, but it's also that we have this attitude that, you know, we've, we've done that, we're, we're through it. It's, it's sort of like a tick-off list. And fact of the matter is that um, human rights, just as democracy and just like rule of law, are things where we need to engage in critical self-reflection as a constant, as a given. We need to be aware that very small movements and developments that are maybe not so visible to the majority of the country, to the majority of society, can already impinge on the quality. And so we need to change that attitude. And I'm very happy that businesses are now also more obliged to do something about their human rights record, because I think it's going to help us foster a dialogue and conversation around human rights that takes a more critical look and a more continuous look at human rights. Speaking about human rights in business, of course, that's a very important topic. Now, Greiner is an Austrian family-owned company, and we are doing our very best to comply with social standards, with regulations. So what is the relevance of human rights for a multinational business like Greiner? Well, I think we're all trying to do our bit to ensure that we have an environment understood as the way that we interact with each other and how we all have our place in society mm. that is um, acceptable and adequate for all of us. 
And so I think businesses play as critical a role as do governments, as do individuals, do voters and people who are hopefully on the track to become voters, to creating a society that provides opportunity for each and everyone. And then human rights give us guidance on how we want to make sure that each and every one of us is safe. And as we're now seeing in, in the more recent developments around human rights, also to make sure that each and everyone can be seen. I think a lot of the discussions around ensuring that people are not discriminated against are actually centered around making sure that people can be themselves, can live free of stigma and feel seen and respected. And I think that's where we're moving toward. And again, employment is essential for people. Being an employee somewhere provides not just work and money, but also meaning. And so, yes, a company plays a critical role in all that. And the human rights are valid for everyone, regardless of sexual orientation, of gender, of age, of disabilities, etc. How do the human rights play a role in terms of diversity, equity, inclusion, of creating an inclusive atmosphere at the workplace? Well, first of all, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, to come back to this founding document of human rights, starts off with saying all human beings are free and equal. And then in Article 2 enumerates the grounds of discrimination that were recognized at the time. It reads very historical and, and, and slightly aged. And um, what we need to try and do is expand that understanding and apply it, as you say, across the fields of employment, but also be aware that it is important throughout our daily lives, throughout our interactions in the different fora in which we engage, be they work, be they political engagement, be they non-governmental engagement, be they uh, pro bono, volunteer related, are they in the settings of, of schools that our children, grandchildren, nephews and nieces attend, and be they in, in the local soccer club in which we you know, coach or, or play. Any very concrete advice that you would like to share with us as a company on something practical that we can do or implement to improve the situation? Well, I think it's really critical that we all break down this very positive yet so abstract term of human rights and really engage in that exercise of which human rights apply to each and one of us on a daily basis. And are we actually aware that there is such a thing as a right to sport? Um, and that sounds first and foremost fun, and it, and it should be, but um, yeah, which human rights are there actually that apply to me on a given day? And I think that already takes us forward and enables us to engage questions around then keeping everybody safe, making people feel comfortable, reducing that sense of exclusion, enabling each and every one of us, you know, far from the diversity Uh, criteria that are usually listed, each one of us has something in their biography that makes them unsafe, makes them feel unseen on certain issues. You know, get a common ground there and know that human rights provide terrific guidance. Breaking down that abstract term, I think that is very important in that regard, because for me, it seems like companies are often treating human rights from a very fear-driven perspective. I'm just thinking of a human rights violation that is exposed on social media when a video clip appears and that's the PR super disaster. How can we get away from that, from this fear-driven perspective and create a more open, constructive, positive dialogue of uh, dialogue that tries to improve the situation? 
Yeah, well, first of all, you know, human rights are all about reducing fear from want and, and whatnot, but um, to to, yeah, openly embrace the possibilities that are in the set of principles of rules that we can all use for each other's benefit and appreciate that most of us have this rather abstract understanding of human rights. And I find it interesting that you would think that the fear-driven approach is one that's only within businesses. I think it's across the board. And my career has allowed me to teach people who thought that they knew a lot about human rights and the frequent response then to a basic human rights training is after two hours, well, thank you for coming because we actually did not know that much. And, you know, to, for people to feel more safe in the meaning of human rights and feeling more empowered in, in applying them and seeing their relevance, I think is a huge step forward in then creating an atmosphere where when something happens, the response to some accusation of a violation or an actual violation is nevertheless difficult, but in a way um, more manageable. Marianne, I have mentioned that you are one of the leading experts in human rights in, in Austria and even across the borders. How did you come to pursue a career in that field? Why is that topic so close to your heart? Uh, that's a great question. That's a bit complicated to answer. But I will say that very early in my legal training, I had two instrumental people, and one of them, Helene Klar, who's a very renowned Viennese divorce lawyer, and then Ron McCullum, the Dean Emeritus of the University of Sydney uh, Law School, who really taught me the difference between being a lawyer and being a human me being with a law degree. And I tried to, um, yeah, th I thrived to, to try and uh, model after them to live that difference and That has, I think, also led me choosing human rights as a focus area. What is your favorite area of interest in the field of human rights? I mean, as an expert, can you actually cover all the topics that are related to human rights or do you have to focus on a very particular area? There are, yes, there are specializations and one of mine is definitely mental health and psychiatry. I serve on the board of the Global Initiative on Psychiatry, which um, looks into the political abuse of psychiatry. So, yeah, that's definitely something that's very close to my heart. But I would like to try and use accessibility as a paradigm through which you can argue a lot of um, human rights. And I think one of the fields that I'm renowned for is, is really social human rights, which are a bit under the radar in Austria for the reasons named earlier and the shortcomings of the Constitutional Act there. Yeah. You have quite an incredible career behind you already. Would you like to share maybe one or two highlights from the career, something that you are particularly proud of, of achieving? Oh, that's difficult because I always feel that, um, you know, you're, you're part of a team and it's really something that you do single-handedly. Um, but yeah, people have trusted me with all sorts of sensitive missions and surely, I mean, in the history books, co-negotiating uh, the Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and spearheading this very politically fraught article on international development is certainly one that stands out. And I am very proud of my engagement with the Anti-Landmine Convention and having been the human rights advisor to the uh, international campaign to ban landmines for all those years because it's just somehow something that really hits hard. So yeah, but um, lots of amazing engagements and I think the, the best aspect of this job is really to have 
been witness to so many people being empowered by knowing their human rights and starting to understand where they can go and, and watching them learn how to spread their wings and fly off. Empowerment is really, truly the best and sweetest part. And also that aspect of the job that keeps me going. Speaking of international developments, also thinking of the war against Ukraine, thinking of authoritarian regimes that are on the rise, the climate emergency, the future doesn't look that great. With regards to human rights and social standards, do you think that we as a global community are moving in the right direction? What is your perception here? We have quite a few challenges presently, but I think we're, we're moving. And more and more of the discussion is informed by rights. And I remain optimistic also because there is no default option uh, as a human rights person to focus on those things that are developing and the fact that businesses are now more and more engaged in human rights issues on account of the sustainability reporting requirements um, yeah, is, is one other aspect of being hopeful. We're slowly coming to an end of our discussion, but before I let you go, Marianne, I'd like to invite you to do a short word wrap with me, if that's fine for you. I'll try my best. <laughs> <laughs> I will give you one word, one term, and you can reply with whatever comes to your mind. That can just be one word or even a short story if you want to. Okay, thank you. <laughs> First one, justice. Legal capacity, the importance of making sure that each and every person can make their own decisions. Austria? One of two homes to an Australian-Austrian. <laughs> What is the other home? Uh, Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> Traveling? Has changed a lot in the course of the pandemic, and I think that's good. Complexity? A fact. <laughs> Freedom of expression. Essential. Your grandmother. My late grandmother, one of them, my late grandmothers, one of them from a very precarious farming background in rural Upper Austria. The other one born into a middle-class family that was completely non-religious yet came under persecution under national socialism escaped from Germany to Vienna and then from Vienna to London and from London to Australia and died a very dignified death in Australia, which she then called her home 10 years ago. And last but not least, your message to the world? Use your freedom of expression and talk about the importance of human rights. Thank you so much for that insightful conversation and for that nice ending, Marianne. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. Check out PwC Austria's sustainability work. Have a look at their website and spread the word about this podcast. Have a great day. Griner Talks, a Griner podcast. Subscribe now.